This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello, everyone. Have you joined the Decoding Obesity community yet? If not, then head to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook. This is a free community to help you get the support you need in your weight loss journey. Welcome to this episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Today's guest is Vera Lee, an ordinary woman who has overcome immense adversity in her own life, including several disabilities, chronic illnesses, multiple near-death experiences, and has also survived domestic violence and sexual assault. She has also overcome anxiety, clinical depression, and recently underwent sleeve gastrectomy to help her with her severe obesity. Welcome, Vera Lee. How are you? Thank you so much, Aviska, for that lovely introduction. I'm very well. Thank you so much for being here. You know, we recently were talking about your journey and it's so great that you've recently had this. I've had certain guests on my show who've had the weight loss surgeries or the metabolic surgeries done in the past, but they had it done several years ago. So I thought it'd be great if you can come on and, you know, share your experiences of the weight loss surgery, especially since you've just had it very fairly recently. And as you go further along, the, the experiences that you have do change over time. All right, so let's dive into your story. Wonderful. So when did your weight really become an issue for you? Yeah, for me, that's an interesting question. I was always a chubby kid. I was always one of those kids that never seemed to lose that baby fat. However, when I look back, I really wasn't that big. When my biggest weight issues came was when I was very, very ill. It was about 10 years ago and my weight had ballooned out of control until I was around 150, 160 kilograms. It did get worse than that. My highest weight recorded was 196 kilograms wow. and I am about 169 centimeters tall. So it's a huge BMI and I was very, very ill at that time. There were lots of reasons that that happened. Most of it was chronic illness, the disabilities I had, being in a very unwell state, being very immobile. And also the biggest contributing factor was long-term high dosage prednisolone. Yeah, because you mentioned that you had severe asthma also, correct? And I guess you were on prednisolone for that? Yes. Yeah, so my prednisolone journey started trying to control allergies and my severe asthma. We discovered about eight years ago that I had a condition called vocal cord dysfunction. And I also had a xenophilia and that was the thing that was underlying all of these allergic type reactions that I was having. And my respiratory system was under a lot of stress. And the thing is with severe weight gain, that puts a lot more stress on your respiratory system. And so I was having to use a CPAP machine. I was having to sleep upright. So I had to have mechanical beds. I was unable to exercise as I'd been used to growing up, which made it harder to keep fitter. So there was a whole range of things going on that, that contributed to the state I ended up in. You're absolutely right, Vera. Obesity itself puts a great stress on the body and also increases the risk of certain 
lung disorders as well as exacerbate certain lung disorders like asthma. And listeners, if you want to listen to my episode on the lung disorders and lung diseases that are associated with obesity or are worsened by obesity, you can head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash EP16. So that was episode 16 that was all about the lung diseases and how they relate to obesity. So Vera, this is interesting because a lot of times people don't realize this, that there are so many things that can cause people to have obesity. In your case, it was the prednisolone that was kind of the precipitating factor in itself. And a lot of times people don't understand this, that there are other aspects to it than just, you know, the calories that you take in, for example, medications, as in your case. So what really happened then once you were at your heaviest weight? What made you decide to do something about it? Or did you try in the interim to do anything about it? I had tried for many years to do something about it with some success too. I'd done lots of different types of meal planning. I'd been under nutritionists. I'd had specialist advice. I'd done a whole range of different types of shake diets, all sorts of stuff. I'd been on Geramine, which is, well, you're probably better to explain what sort of medication that is for me, but I'd been on that. And there was a lot of things that I had tried. And what I found was that particularly due to the way that prednisolone affects your body and your hormones, my body wasn't reacting the way that people expected. And so although I was very determined and I stuck to the plans that I was given by the professionals, we weren't seeing the results. And so it was becoming very apparent to me that my body was not going to respond the way that the average person's body would respond. On top of that, because of my decreased mobility, I was unable to do the level of exercise that I was used to. And the other thing too is that my appetite was way out of control. And again, this is something that the medications exacerbated for me. But because I was eating healthy food, one would expect that I would be able to lose weight still, but it was the volume of food that I was consuming because I couldn't feel full very often. And so when I broke my mechanical bed, and they're about $15,000 to replace, and I wasn't wow. in a financial position to replace it at that time. I was like, what am I going to do now? I can't sleep flat on a bed. I hadn't been able to do it because all that extra weight, and I, I was a big-breasted lady anyway, but all that extra weight on top of that area, and in particular because of my vocal cord dysfunction, the amount of fat that was around my throat as well was causing issues with my breathing. And so I had to start sleeping in a recliner chair and I was stuck in that chair for five years. Wow. So there were lots of times that I tried to lose weight. I actually at that point in time did get a referral. So this is about 10 years ago now. I did get a referral to have weight loss surgery. However, because of my severity of my conditions and how poorly my body was in that state at that time, all of my specialists decided that weight loss surgery was going to be too dangerous for me to undergo and that it probably wouldn't work anyway at that particular time. So it wasn't until November 2020 that I was actually well enough to have the surgery and it took me 10 years of conditioning myself, conditioning my body, getting ready for the day when I would be well enough to have the surgery to help myself through this process. Yeah, you know, sometimes people look at the surgery and they think that it might just be the easy way out, but uh, people don't realize that it's not that easy. Even surgeries have, I mean, all surgeries have complications, right? And you really have to meet those criteria to be fit for surgery, even if it's a metabolic or a weight loss surgery that you had. 
and it took you 10 years to get there. So, you know, what happened in November 2020? How did you finally get to that point where your doctor said that you're ready for the surgery? Yeah, I'd actually had a surgery consult with a different surgeon about 18 months prior, and he still was not willing to take the risk for surgery. And I was at the point where I'd been losing weight. I'd been losing weight, but it was a very up and down process. And I didn't seem to be able to really get the gains that I needed. And I was in a situation where I felt that I needed the weight to be coming off a little bit faster than what I was able to manage myself. And so I got a second opinion and I continued working through being able to work on my cardio and really try and condition my respiratory system to be able to get through that surgery without any major complications. We'd booked an ICU. The second surgeon was willing to go through the process. I'm also on another special type of treatment for my eosinophilia and my vocal cord dysfunction, which meant that that was a further complication. And this particular surgeon had had quite a few patients that were on this type of drug. And so he knew how to handle the risks and complications that came along with that. And he did a very, very good job of taking care of me during that surgery. I got through respiratory-wise flying colours. In fact, it was like some people have those moments where the penny drops and their shift in their thinking changes. And it's like, oh, why didn't I understand that before? After this surgery, even though I actually did have some complications immediately following surgery, it was like my body went, oh, and all of a sudden my respiratory system has been amazingly good (laughs) since this surgery. And it was the one thing we were all most worried about. And yet it's the part of me that's been flying through everything since, which is really interesting. And so many other things in my body I'm noticing since the surgery. It's Again, it's like turning off a tap. Not talking about the hunger because I've still got hunger. I know a lot of people lose their hunger after the surgery. I didn't. However, my stomach was so stretched from all the years of overeating that having that feeling of constriction, having that ability to recognize that I'm actually full now, my body just seems to have switched on all these signals that it wasn't used to feeling or or noticing before. And it's it's been a really interesting process. (laughs) Yeah, I think. That's one of the things that a lot of people feel that when they are actually gaining weight, one of the problems that people have is that they don't know when to stop. And it's just that they do not feel satisfied with whatever food they're eating. And that's one of the things that does happen with either with medications or sometimes with surgery also, that they start feeling that feeling of fullness. Mm. When the first time you have that feeling of fullness, it's a completely different experience than all the prior experiences that you've had. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I was one of those people... I always had an issue with appetite from it, right from a little tack up. And so I always wanted to eat more. But when my parents were controlling the amount of food that I ate, you know, that was controlled to a certain level. However, later in my life, it was like, well, I could eat a full meal. Like I'm talking about a full meal, probably twice really what a normal person would eat. And then I'd still feel like I wanted another whole one of those plates, you know, and I would have to physically stop myself and barter with myself about why I wasn't going to do that and how I had to try and be aware of my body saying, no, you're full. But I never got those signals. And so for me, full was like a bilious feeling. It was like, I can't physically fit any more food in. Okay, now I can stop. And the anxiety that I felt emotionally around that too was very, very difficult 
to get a handle on consistently. And thinking about food consumed my thought process. And so it didn't leave much space for anything else. So it's been wonderful. It's been such a relief to actually be able to recognize when I'm full, to recognize that I don't need to eat right now because I'm not actually hungry. And to recognize that, well, actually, I'm thirsty right now, not hungry. And so all these new signals, it's like learning again because I've never really felt them my whole life. Yeah. And so how did you prepare for the surgery? Because you mentioned that you were losing some weight before that. So did you do anything specific? I mean, you had mentioned that you tried some diets before that really didn't work. For example, the shakes that you were on and and whatever. So did you do anything specific this time that was helping you get ready for the surgery? Yes. So there's two phases to this. I spent two years still on some types of shakes beforehand. And that was my way of long-term conditioning my stomach to getting used to less food conditioning my body to getting used to less volume and less bulk, being full aware that at that point in time, I didn't have anyone who was willing to do the surgery for me. And yet every time I seemed to eat food, I wanted more. And what I found was that being on more of a liquid-based diet, my body gradually got used to that and I was able to control things a little bit better. I certainly focused on increasing my physical activity so that I could condition my body. And that was a big part of it. For me, the second phase came in seven weeks before surgery. My surgeon asked me to be on a very strict shake regime immediately before surgery for six weeks. Most surgeons, they do one to two weeks for people. I was on six weeks. And he sort of looked at me and said, do you think you can do that? And I said, that's no problem. You know, I've been doing shakes for so long. That's fine. But one thing that we changed was I was making my shakes with soy milk. And so we changed to having them only with water. Oh, I see. I also introduced a new nutritional supplement that it was a natural supplement rather than the synthetic ones that I'd been on. And so there were three things that I changed and I stopped exercising. And some people will find that very controversial. However, because I was going back to such a low calorie diet, What that did was it put my body in a state where it wasn't trying to conserve and instead it started releasing weight. And so in those seven weeks before surgery, I dropped 20 kilos making those three changes. And after the surgery, most people drop a whole ton of weight within the first probably month. My weight loss slowed, which was okay with me because for me, the interesting thing is I'm not doing this and I haven't done this for what the scales say. I've done this for how it's affecting my body, for the hormonal shifts that are going on, and for the size that I am and how I'm feeling health-wise. And so I've seen huge, huge differences from now to when I had the surgery, although the scales don't really reflect a lot of these massive changes that we're seeing. And for me, that's okay. For a lot of other people I'm connected with, they get very stressed about what the scales are saying. And if the scales are not moving, to what they're expecting, they get very upset and am I doing something, what's going wrong? And it's like, actually, no, don't focus on the scales and focus on what's actually going on in your body. A little bit like the process that I did leading up to it. I spent two years conditioning, trying to get my body ready for this. And so it wasn't such a big shock for the system when it actually happened, which was good for me. Yeah. And that's the other thing that, you know, I try to make people aware of is The fact that when you're about to have surgery, it's not just that you go to a surgeon and you're done and dusted and you just go for the surgery. You really have to prepare for it, both mentally and physically for it. 
you're going to be evaluated extensively by multiple physicians before you're approved for the surgery because you have to be in that state of health to get the surgery under general anesthesia. And you have to go through a lot of counseling because everything changes after surgery. The way you eat is going to change. The way you feel is going to change. So you really need a lot of help and a lot of support both prior to and after surgery once you're getting ready for this metabolic surgery that you had. Now, what do you think was the biggest struggle that you faced in your journey thus far? My biggest struggle before surgery was watching my body becoming something I didn't recognize, that I didn't understand how this felt. I didn't like the way this felt. I felt sick all of the time and yet feeling like everything I did wasn't working. That was my biggest struggle because mentally and emotionally, that made things really hard for me. And it felt like I was always at war with my body. That was my biggest struggle, and particularly in reference to the appetite. Yeah, and you know that's the other thing that people don't understand, not just people with obesity, but other people in general, and we call this weight bias in the society. And we try and help people understand this, that some people who are suffering from obesity do not want to be at that weight. They're not there by choice. They're there because they have this disease and they need the help. So really, this weight bias that pervades our society, I think it really needs to change because just like you had pointed out, there was something that was wrong physiologically that was causing you to not feel satisfied, which changed. And so it's not just about a mechanical thing where you're a part of the stomach was removed and that caused it to happen. But there were there are certain hormonal changes that occur with surgeries that do cause all of these changes to take place within you physiologically. So that's very important. Now, what about after surgery? What are your struggles now? And what is life like after surgery? Yeah, gosh, there's so many things. I think, and this is going to sound a little bit minor, but the burping, oh my goodness, like I can't, because I'm a podcaster too. And so I can't eat within two hours of being able to do a podcast recording because I burp the whole way through it. And I can't drink water within about an hour after eating. Otherwise, I feel extremely ill. So it's about changing my whole lifestyle to fit around when I can eat and drink, which sort of sounds like it defeats the process, but it's actually been, it's been a good thing. But it's just a shift. It's a different way of looking at everything. To go through some of the list of changes I've seen, my fluid retention has dropped way off, which has been amazing. And so I was always looking extremely bloated and feeling it too. I would constantly urinate because I had all this fluid retention. All of that has stopped. I am able to sip my water instead of gulping it down, which I think is a much better process for me to have gotten used to anyway. (laughs) And that was something I had to work really hard on pre-surgery. And after surgery, I was forced to really look at very small amounts of water to the point where I'll take a sip and I'll actually only swallow half of it and leave the other half in my mouth for a few moments and then finish swallowing. So it's been different. It's been good though. Immediately following the surgery, I wasn't able to keep water down though. And so I was air flown back down to the hospital for emergency kidney surgery because I'd formed three stones in that five days that I'd had basically no water intake. So that wasn't fun. I had about two weeks after that trying to recover because in a two and a half week period, I'd had four surgeries. I had the gastric sleeve surgery and then I had three 
emergency surgeries. So that was pretty taxing for my body. The interesting thing, and this is why I focus so much on conditioning for this operation, is that my respiratory system sailed through all of those operations. It wasn't a problem. And mentally and emotionally, I was doing really well. Most people would think going through all these extra surgeries and having these complications that you'd get almost depressed, that you would be really upset. I had none of that. It was like, I just said, okay, this is happening. Let's do what we can about it. And let's keep moving on, you know, and focus on trying to get as much liquid in as I can and focus on what it is that I can do now. And so coming out the other side of that, it took probably about a month after the surgery when I started to feel half normal. About two months later, I started to actually eat food per se, rather than having everything liquefied. And it allows me now, again, with all that conditioning and training I put into place before the surgery, I'm now able to look at food, plate out my portion that I know is about the right amount I'm supposed to be having now. And I don't look to put extra on my plate. I don't worry if I leave a bite off. I don't think, oh, I can't waste the food. I may as well eat it because I know that that's not going to help me. And I I want to avoid the pain of overeating too. Um, However, there's a few things that haven't been great. I can't eat chicken anymore. And I love chicken and it gets stuck. So unless it's cooked within a soup and it's very moist and very soft, it gets stuck and then end up throwing it up. So there's a few things like that that you've got to be very careful of. And no one can really tell you which foods you'll react to like that. Rice is another one. I had one tiny little piece of sushi that I tried that my mum had made for me. And I was like, no, I was quite, I was sick for a couple of hours after that. So it's about trying to work out which foods you can eat and which you can't. You, You can only do that by trial and error. Everyone's different. But for me, yeah, it's, it's been a really good experience overall. Yeah, it's different, right? It's it's different for everybody, yeah. and um, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It 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 is a journey, even after the surgery. And how do you see the things have evolved um, over the last few weeks or you know few months that you've had the surgery? Have things changed? Yeah, so I still have days where I'm very up and down. I don't know when I wake up in the morning, I don't know what sort of a day I'm going to have food-wise. So am I going to feel like I can eat any any type of food that I want? Um, or am I feeling quite unwell? So the nausea side of it, there's definitely nausea. And immediately following the surgery, the nausea was severe, like really severe. Um, so it, it was going from always feeling like I couldn't be satiated to taking one one sip of something, a liquid something, just going, oh, that's enough, I can't take anymore. So in the wow. last few weeks, um, I don't get that severe nausea or anything like that I just have an an undercurrent of I'm actually not that hungry which is nice for me it's it's been a relief from what it used to be I can eat pretty much most foods that I like like I said as long as I'm just making sure that the texture is not something that's going to get stuck Um, so I, I really have free reign for most foods that I decide I want to eat it's about keeping the quantities very small which I'm finding I'm not having a problem with. And that was the thing I was most afraid of. So now I'm three months. Yeah, I'm three months out from the surgery. And I didn't expect because I did have 
a lot longer to get over the initial operation than most people because of my complications. I didn't expect that in three months I could pretty much look at any type of food and, and decide whether I wanted to eat that or not, and that was my choice. I thought that I would probably be a little more restricted in the types of foods. However, um, it's it's been a really good journey because now I can look at food, I have a totally different relationship to it. First of all, I decide if I'm hungry or at all, whether I actually need something to eat. And then I can say, okay, well, how much of that do I need? What is the portion size that I should be looking at? And so I just played up that portion size. I go and I sit down and I eat mindfully. I don't eat while I'm doing other things. I now honor the time that I'm eating so that I take my time, so that I make sure I chew the food really, really well. Once I've swallowed it, I wait a little bit before I have the next bite. And so for me, that's been a a really interesting process because I used to joke with my dad and it's certainly the case is that I've become more of a connoisseur of food. So I appreciate food (laughs) a lot more. It's not just something to stuff myself with. It's something that I can actually enjoy tasting. I can enjoy savoring the different textures of foods. And I can tell you after what would have been about 12 weeks of not actually eating food, when you do start eating food again, food that you can chew, you really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So how has this changed your uh, relationships, personal relationships with your family, with your friends and overall, how has that changed? Yeah, that is a fantastic question. I feel very blessed that the people around me have been very supportive. They've seen my struggles over the last years. They've seen how unhappy I was with the weight on and they've seen how ill I was and that I am actually lucky to still be here and and alive on this planet. And so they've been extremely supportive. I was concerned that they would tell me to try and eat more. And yet they've not done that, which has been great for me. I know that a lot of people do struggle with that, with with friends or family saying, well, you can't just live on that much food. Actually, you can. You can live on a smaller amount of food. Um, so they've been really good. My son lives with me and I have been training him also for the last couple of years to take care of his own food needs. And so... I prepared him, look, when a mum comes home from hospital, I mean, he's 18, but so when mum comes home from hospital, she's not going to want to eat anything that you're eating and you need to be mindful that don't sit there in front of me eating whatever it is that you eat. But it turned out that I said to him, actually, it's okay because I am recognising the difference in my body. I can have you all eat whatever you want around me and I don't feel like trying any. I don't feel like I need to say, well, can you go away with that? I don't want to watch you eat that. So that's been a really big shift. So that has allowed them to not feel that they can't eat in front of me as well, which has been good. I think that that's helped the process immensely. Right. And and um, has your eating pattern changed? I mean, I'm sure it, it probably has, um, yeah. but how, how so? Yeah, so this one was a little bit difficult for me and I'm still going to be working through this over the next few months. Right. Because I can't get the amount of volume in to get the nutrition that I need, I'm having to eat more often than three times a day. So I had yeah. done various different meal plans where I'd done the six meals a day 
six small meals right. a day. And that for And that's me, what usually people start with post-surgery yeah. is about six, seven meals a day, yeah. small meals. Yeah, that's it. And so before surgery, I had gone on systems where it was six meals a day and I struggled with that because it just made me want to eat more. And so I found going back to three meals a day worked much better for me. And yet after surgery, I couldn't do that. I needed to eat more frequently. And so I was only eating about the size of an egg, if that, now I eat about the size of an egg per meal, but initially it was only a quarter of an egg or half an egg, wow. you know. So it wasn't very much food and I did need to actually force myself to eat more frequently because I didn't want to become hyperglycemic. I didn't want to have other issues from, you know, really starving myself. And so now I'm in a process where I probably – I don't really eat a meal per se. I just have like six little snacks every day. Right. But for me, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to my three times a day because that I know my body enjoys that sort of level. As to whether that will happen, I'm not sure. It's a little bit like I think for someone who has a, a food eating issue, particularly with volume, I think it's a little bit like an alcoholic sometimes where if you have one drink, some alcoholics can deal with that and stop, others can't. I'm talking about recovering alcoholics here. Right. So some people can have one drink and and learn to stop at that, others can't. Once they have one drink, that's it. And so for someone who's been very obese and used to being able to eat large volumes of food, it's it's very important, I think, to be mindful that you don't want to be snacking all day long because that gets back into those habits of I can eat whenever I want type of feeling. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I'm working through at the moment. Yeah, and I think the other thing also to recognize is the fact that even if you've had surgery, there are quite a few people who would actually end up gaining the weight back. So it's very important to be cognizant of what you're still eating, even though you've had the surgery, even though the even though physically the a part of your stomach has been removed, it still is important to keep in mind what you're putting into your mouth because and that still affects your weight eventually. Absolutely, and, and I've got something to talk about on that aspect too because there is still, I think two opinions out there about what sort of food that you should be looking at eating. And I'm talking about fat content here. So there's one group of people that are saying you still need to have very low fat with a lot of your foods. And there's another group that says, well, actually, if you eat full fat food and you're just making sure that they're the right sorts of full fats, so, you know, not eating junk food full of fat, we're talking about having an egg with the yolk in it. Right, so there's certain level of fats in there that if you're managing those amounts okay, that bit of extra fat in there actually makes you feel, feel satiated as well. And there was a book that I read, having been a tennis player in my previous life, Monica Sellis wrote her autobiography, and she was talking a lot about her weight issues all the way through her career and how restricting the amount of food that she was eating never seemed to work for her. And she got to a point where she decided to eat, she uses the term whatever she wants, but it was still healthy food. And that's the important distinction here. But she wasn't worried about if that food had a little bit of fat in it, that that was a big no-no. So it was about having a better relationship with the good fats in her diet. And what she found was that worked really well. And I've sort of taken that approach now where I will have, you know, a bit of salad with olive oil on it for my dressing. So I'll have olive oil, a little bit of salt and pepper. 
And for me, they're the good fats and that's working really well. Like I feel fine with that. I'm only three months out, but again, it's about volume. And so as long as you are mindful that you're choosing the options that are going to support your body, that are going to support your nutrition, that you eat for nutrients rather than eating for any other reason, purely just to eat. (laughs) (laughs) That you actually have a purpose for eating. I mean, it's like breathing. We have a purpose for breathing. We want to exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide. The oxygen feeds like a fuel for our body, particularly for our muscles, through our blood system. The same for the nutrients we get from our food. And so it's about really choosing the nutrient-dense foods that are going to support your body and and everything that it needs. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. So... Vera, what advice do you have for others who are, you know, in this similar boat, their similar journey, they're not getting a lot of support around them, they're having these obstacles, just like you've had, what would you suggest to them? I would suggest that people look at one step at a time, one small change at a time, and really look at their goals. Why is it that they want to lose weight? What is it that they're trying to achieve? Because when you get into the really difficult periods, you need to have that point of focus. You need to have something that's drawing you back to, you really feel like having that piece of chocolate right now. Why do I want to not have that again? Like, what is it that I'm working towards? And having an overall plan, but also having smaller goals along the way so that when you achieve them, you celebrate them. Because everything that you're achieving is worth celebrating. And that's how you get that momentum happening. And a lot of people talk about not feeling motivated to lose weight. Helping to set goals helps you to start achieving goals and that gets the momentum going. And from there, you actually get the motivation to keep going. It's not that you need to have the motivation first. Motivation happens after you're on that train, after you've started that process. Right. Very well said. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us about your new podcast. You just started, right? Yes. So the new podcast is called What The Flab? for all those flabby bits that we're trying to get rid of. And it's Flab Talks with Vera Lee, which is me, obviously. And I have a mixture of people that I interview. You are actually one of my guests, Avishka, who came on for my launch series. And we talk to lots of different people. And I also have episodes that I talk just myself in trying to bring lots of diverse information to people who are looking at losing weight, whether that is with or without surgery. And I don't have a bias to having surgery. The fact for me is that I lost 60 kilos before I had my weight loss surgery. And so I have been on this journey on both sides of that process. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it was such an interesting talk that we had on your podcast. And listeners do check out Vera Lee's podcast. It's called What the Flap. It's really interesting. And I, I highly recommend it to everybody. Well, that's all we have time for today. Listeners, do head to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook to join the free Decoding Obesity community. This is again 100% free and I started this community so that you can get all the support you need in your weight loss journey. And listeners, don't forget to drop me a review or a comment. If there are specific topics that you would like me to discuss here, please do let me know. You can write to me at host at decodingobesity.com. And lastly, do subscribe for more inspiring episodes like this one in the future. Thank you so much, Vera, for joining me and sharing your story. And thank you everyone for listening in. I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. 
Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.